Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey guys, thanks for checking out something to wrestle today. I really appreciate your support and hope that we're giving you what you like with a great Paul Bearer episode today. I wanted to give you a quick heads up though. I've mapped out the rest of the year week by week, every single episode, not just on something to wrestle, but also on grilling JR also on what happened when, of course, Arn and even 83 weeks all the way through the end of 2020. We've even got some very special bonus episodes planned. Stay tuned at the end of this episode. I'll tell you what April's bonus show is going to be. And you can get all of these shows early and ad free with extra bonus shows over at adfreeshows.com. Let me give you a little bit of a teaser. How about on June 5th? We revisit ECW one night stand 2005. How about in July when we finally talk about Kevin Nash and the WWE or what about my favorite? I'm really looking forward to this one. August 21st, the very controversial SummerSlam 2005. Any rock fans listening? What about September 4th rocks, 1999, 2000. We've got tons of profiles planned coming your way, including Kerry Von Eric, Andre, the giant survivor series, 1991. It's all happening at adfreeshows.com. You'll get it early and ad free, but the show that maybe we've planned the longest, I mean, I'll never forget. I had this circled in early 2017. It's finally happening. Eddie Guerrero, November 13th. I can't wait for us to talk about Eddie and tell his full story in the WWE. I'm really excited about a fun year here with the podcast. You can stay tuned here on the main channel and get most of these shows for free, but you can get them early and ad free with a lot of extra little bonus content, including very special episodes like SummerSlam 92, Andre, the giant survivor series 91. And those are going to be exclusive to adfreeshows.com. Check it out. It's adfreeshows.com. Oh, and we've also got a little sneak peek at some of my private collection of uh, wrestling memorabilia. We've already got a few of those episodes out now. Check it out. Adfreeshows.com. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Hey, good afternoon, Glenn. This is Dave Silva. Hey, what's going on, Dave? <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. We're um, putting these testimonials on the podcast, and if it's okay, yes, um, I would like to use your story. Absolutely. Um, my mom had been trying to get a refinance done for years because... Uh, Years ago, her and my dad ended up uh, into a uh, home equity loan, and it had a really high interest rate on it. I mean, we're talking like 6% almost. We originally went, we tried to go with a different company. We were in with them. They were getting us taken care of, had to have an appraisal done, and there was some issues with the appraisal that we had to get taken care of before they would approve it. Got all those done. And then when we went back to them to have them finalize everything, they backed out on us. Oh, wow. Um, and they said, we're not approving anything over $125,000 now. So originally when we started this process, my gut told me, call Conrad. 
and I didn't listen to my gut then. So the second time around, you know, I said, I think I'm going to call Conrad this time. We ended up working with Derek Jones, and he is absolutely a treasure. Uh, I can't say enough good things about Derek, the, the work he did for us. He was always available anytime I had a question. I could call or text or email, and he was always there for us. He met every need that we could possibly have. Um, I can't, I mean, I just can't tell you how overjoyed we we were with the experience. And, you know, I've highly recommended it to people I know. I tried to get my daughter to go get a hold of you guys about she's looking to buy the new home here soon so what are you waiting for find out how much money you can save right now for free you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket even credit scores in the 500s can be approved and if we can't save you money we won't waste your time but because we're licensed in more than 40 states we can help more families than ever before find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com oh and did i mention you could skip your next two house payments Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Brutes. Bridges. Bridges. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck you, Bruce. I love you. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, not much new, Connie. You know the thing, man. Just same old, same old every day. Well, I got to tell you, us fans really. You got the clap? Us fans really enjoyed WrestleMania last weekend. I know uh, there was a big debate. What should we do? And I'm sure that that's uh, a hell of a podcast for one day in the future. But you guys went with a two-night WrestleMania. It was all pre-taped. And uh, when it was over, there were a lot of great matches. I enjoyed Seth Rollins and uh, uh, and Kevin Owens, who we've often joked, you're his dad, based on uh, your attire around the house. But I really enjoyed, you know, Rhea and Charlotte. But, man, I think the, the show stealer for most folks was the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match 
Did you get a kick out of, uh, the reaction online from seeing people lose their mind over those two segments? Well, I'm glad that everybody enjoyed it and, uh, glad that everybody had a little escape from the reality of everything going on out in the world. And, you know, sometimes you just got to escape. And if we can provide an escape, just like right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and Connie Thompson, then by God, we're going to provide you that escape and, um, make things go down a little bit easier, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it really was a fun escape. You know, I found myself being great, very grateful on Sunday that we had something to do for the last two nights. And my wife, Megan, who, you know, is not the world's biggest wrestling fan. She enjoyed it too. It was just, uh, it was something to do. And it feels like they're, but she's a it. Bruce Pritchard fan. She, she I've, I've seen her in her. I'm a Bruce Pritchard guy shirt. I know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's not a lie. She was. And, uh, the rumor and innuendo is that our own Bruce Pritchard had a big part of the, uh, a big part. Uh, or a big role rather to play in the Firefly Funhouse match. And if you maybe didn't get it, uh, I don't think it can be better explained than that Uproxx article. Did you read that Uproxx article that was getting passed around this past week? Yeah, I try not to read things that are passed around, Connie. You know how I am. Well, I got to tell you, if you didn't get Firefly Funhouse, uh, go throw Uproxx in your Google machine. Man, I, why would you want to go throw up? I'm just saying it's nuanced storytelling and then to throw up rocks that just, man, that would be painful. It would be, but you know what? It's not any more painful than talking about our old friend today. Mr. Paul bear, another Alabamian William Moody born April 10th, 1954 in mobile, Alabama. You know, we, uh, we know that you have a great Bruce Pritchard version of the Paul bear voice, but when did the real Bruce Pritchard meet the real Mr. Moody. Hmm. Well, not until, um, probably 86, 85, 86, when we started going to Dallas, uh, when I say we, I mean, mid South universal and, and what have you, um, the free when the Freebirds came in, all right, and the Freebirds used to have a post taping party at Jimmy Papa's house, and that is where I first met Big Bill Moody, Percival Pringle the Third, and in the refrigerator of that said house was a bong with red wine in it. Oh my gosh. And so big bill Moody introduced me to that bong with red wine in it. And I just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And we would sit a couple of chairs and sit there and bullshit and talk all night. And uh, that's where I first met old Percival. Percy. Of course, Percy Pringle was the, uh, the gimmick name of bill Moody when he was working for world-class and throughout the Texas territories. And he, like all of us started off as a fan from a very young age, because both of his parents were big wrestling fans. So he literally grew up with wrestling being part of his life. And he used to, uh, have a website, percypringle.com. And he, he wrote his own biography on there and would do some blogging and things like that. And he wrote, I remember that mom and dad would take me to local wrestling live on channel five studio TV tapings. Needless to say, it was love at first sight. When you guys are passing the, uh, the red wine bong back and forth, I assume you're both talking about your love of wrestling as kids. 
Yeah, you know, the first thing is talking about how'd you get into the business, what you know, what do you do, all that good, wonderful shit. And then um we just kind of because of our love for the business, we pretty much hit it off right away. And Percy's got an extremely dry sense of humor. Um little mean spirited sometimes, which is why I loved him so much. And we just kind of hit it off. Yeah. And he was also friends with longtime friends with John Tatum and just always his dream was always wanted to be in the wrestling business so that we shared that same love and that same passion for what we did. Bill would write, I remained a wrestling fan throughout my childhood. However, my fascination really took off when I got my driver's license and I was able to go to the matches around the Gulf coast area by myself. If wrestling was in town, I was there. He said he was a fixture at mobiles, uh, armory. And then eventually when Gulf coast wrestling moved to the mobile municipal auditorium, now known as the civic center, he was right there. And he only missed a handful of events, uh, over like seven years here. Talk to us a little bit about this territory. It's not one that has been covered a lot with podcasts and whatnot. Uh, the, the panhandle of Florida is an area that Arn Anderson says was the most fun he ever had in wrestling. What can you tell us about that territory? Well, the Fullers, uh, ran it and I think they bought and sold it several times <laughs> over the years. Uh, but it was the nice thing about it. Trips were short. And guys were able to be home every night, whether they lived in, in Pensacola or Mobile, depending upon where they chose to live. Most of the guys would live in Pensacola. I know Big Bill Moody lived in Mobile. Um, the Fullers, I think, lived somewhere there in Alabama. But it was it was just an easy, fun territory because your days could be filled hanging out at the beach and work it out, and then you can make a short ride, two hours, three hours, whatever it is, to the town that night and be home that night in your own bed and partying at the Holiday Inn bar there. And it was it was just a lot of fun, and it was, it was easy. I used to go and visit my brother Tom when he worked for Continental in later years, and it was just, you know, it was an easy, fun place to, to live and Pensacola is beautiful. I'm going to blow my nose now. Train's coming through. Okay. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. Uh, Bill would write about, you know, when he's coming up here, he's going to obviously make some lifelong friends who are also going to be folks who really want to get in the wrestling business. And those include, as you mentioned, Hollywood, John Tatum, and of course, Robert Gibson, one half of the famous rock and roll express and who? Uh, Michael Hayes. Come on. One of the fabulous Freebirds who we know now as a higher up with WWE. So it's, uh, it is very much fertile ground for wrestling icons here. And then eventually he decides, you know, Hey, I want to try to throw my hat in the ring here and get in the business. So he starts photography as a hobby hoping to get his foot in the door as a ringside photographer. And he winds up actually getting photos for the arena program. And of course, wrestling magazines and even the local newspaper, man, this is remarkable. When you think about it, that, you know, Paulie dangerously, Jim Cornette and Paul bear all sort of got their first taste of the wrestling business as ringside photographers. 
that's the way you broke in. My brother, Tom, you know, he broke in that way by taking pictures first. And then that opened the door for us because the, in order to take pictures, all right, usually you had to have some kind of an affiliation with a magazine or what have you. So the promoters, especially the wrestlers, man, if you were taking pictures, they, they became your friend because then they thought, oh, well, he'll get my picture in the inside wrestling or the wrestler. We like to call the after mags. And Bill always gets pissed off when you talk about the after mags. Not pissed off, but Bill just worked for him. Those were really the Stanley Weston mags. Yeah, that's uh, maybe a story for another day. Let's talk about Paul Bear, though. He's going to enlist in the U.S. Air Force, do his uh, basic training uh, in San Antonio, and then he's stationed in Biloxi. Um, worth mentioning, this is happening as the Vietnam War is winding down. And then he does a couple of years in the uh, inactive Air Force Reserves. And he's doing all of this because it allows him the opportunity to still have this crazy hobby of professional wrestling. Uh, ultimately he's honorably discharged from the air force in 76 and immediately goes to work as a licensed apprentice funeral director and embalmer at mobiles, uh, old Higgins mortuary. And at the same time, he's doing night classes at the university of South Alabama and trying to wrestle whenever he could. This is uh humble beginnings, but this is the way a lot of guys sort of get their start working a job, going to school and trying to perfect their craft as a professional wrestler. You got a lot of balls in the air here. Well, he, he did. Yes. But it was very smart because Percy looked at it like this, that if anything happened in the wrestling business, if he didn't make it in the wrestling business or something happened to him, then he would always have a trade that he could fall back on. So he had the opportunity to get his mortician's license. He got it. He did run a funeral home and he just always kept, he always kept updating it. He always kept renewing it and he would do his whatever, uh, follow up school courses that he needed to do to keep his license active. And that's what he did. You know, when he wasn't wrestling or if there were times that the business was bad, he had his funeral parlor. Let's talk about, um, him meeting Diana Lynn. This is around the same time when he meets her, it's going to be his wife. Uh, she, uh, courageously battled, battled breast cancer a couple of times, but then ultimately I think she succumbed to it in, uh, early Oh nine, they had a couple of sons together, uh, Michael and Daniel. I think Daniel even wrestled on the Indies as DJ Pringle. Talk to me a little bit about his wife, because this feels like something you guys would have had a lot of talks about. Yeah, we did. And she was positively wonderful, man. You know, we used to have the saying, God makes so many pairs. Of them. Well, <clears throat> he did that with Diana and Pooh, man, because, uh, they were made for each other. They loved each other. And she is what kept Bill Moody grounded. And it's just, she, she was just such a wonderful person that, I mean, I, there's not much else you could say about her other than she was the rock that kind of held everything together. And man, Bill just absolutely adored her. She's a great, great woman. And she had the same fucking dry sense of humor. Um, yeah, she was a hoot, man. She was great. 
he, uh, he would write about his family on his blog. Uh, Michael, their oldest son had a wife named Beth and they had, uh, a grandchild, Troy on April 11th, 2003. And sadly the baby passed away the next day, man, it just feels like there's a, a lot of tragedy here in this story. You know, I think there's some bad luck there, but I also think that there's a lot, of, there's a lot of good in the story too. And I mean, unfortunately families have, have tragedy. And in this particular case, a lot of it came at the same time, um, just in the same time, same era, but it was, uh, they were strong, man. There was a lot of love there and it was as far as loving each other and being a family they, they were there, man. They're great, great people. Let's get back to wrestling for a minute and let's talk about his actual wrestling debut. It happened in June of 74. He's wrestling as Mr. X in Greenville, Alabama. And, uh, he would also work as the embalmer and the mortician for a while. Uh, these are all what, what guys would call outlaw wrestling groups. Some of our younger listeners may not be familiar with the phrase, Bruce, tell everybody what an outlaw wrestling group is. You know, an outlaw is something that we looked at. If you were working in a, an established territory, for example, a Dallas territory, the Atlanta territory, New York, Minneapolis, places like that that had a territory that was established where they ran certain markets um, on a regular basis. And they pretty much looked at anywhere within the fiefdom of their television show. So if their television show hit that market, then that promoter felt that that was their town and that was part of their territory. So... Anybody that came in and ran opposition, not using their talent, not paying them a booking fee, that would be an outlaw wrestling territory. Kind of an antiquated term, and, and nowadays, you know, several people run the same market. I, I used to say whenever promoters would talk about selling their territory and selling their promotion, and I would laugh. It's just, what the fuck are they selling? You're selling air. It's not like you have the right to be the only promoter in the market. Anybody can promote. you got to find a building. You may have that building tied up because of how many times that you run it, and that's fair. I mean, that's business. That's life. But if there's another building across the street that's available, and they're willing to rent to me, and I'm willing and have a television company that's willing to put my TV on, or even if I don't have TV, I could sure as hell buy ads on yours. So why not? You know, that. but you were considered an outlaw if you did that, if you went against the grain of this gentleman's agreement. But it's worth mentioning these outlaw um, promotions. We're not necessarily getting rich working here. No, no, not always, because most of the time the guy that had the the promotion locally that felt it was their ter territory, they would go in with their best stuff and just run you out of business to where eventually it wasn't profitable for you to run. Yeah, so not a lot of money on the outlaw circuit back then. Uh, probably looking to uh, keep costs down as much as he can and save as much as he can. And if you're looking to save money... Well, it's not surprising if uh, you have two or three high interest rate credit cards in your wallet right now, 
Why not pay them off with a credit card consolidation loan from our friends at lightstream.com. You see, Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. And I know that from firsthand experience. You can quickly roll balances from multiple credit cards into one single monthly loan payment, and you can get a low fixed interest rate and free up more money in your monthly budget, which is super important right now. So say goodbye to credit card bills and take even more control of your money. Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans have rates from just 5.95% APR with AutoPay, and there are absolutely no fees. You can get your money as soon as the day you apply. And don't take my word for it. Check out this testimonial we got from a listener. Finding out about Lightstream couldn't have come at a better time. I've been trying to consolidate my debt for a few months now, but I felt like I'd reached a dead end. I was listening to my podcast one morning and I heard their ad. Everything they said sounded too good to be true, but at that point, I had nothing to lose. Ultimately, it was true. It was so quick, so easy, so convenient. I wish I would have found out about Lightstream sooner. I 1000% recommend it to everyone. Apply today and get a special interest rate discount yourself and save even more. Now, the only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com forward slash wrestle. That's L I G H T S T R E A M dot com slash wrestle. Let's keep it going here. Let's talk about uh, his first big break. He says it doesn't take long before he realizes that, hey, I should probably be a manager. And the big break comes on April 10th, 1978 in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Apparently he made quite an impression on promoters, George Culkin and Frankie Kane. Tell everybody who Frankie Kane was, by the way, the great Mephisto. He says he's asked to come to Biloxi's then brand new Mississippi coast Coliseum the very next night. And that night he goes to the ring with a tag team known as the Mongolians and the manager Percival Pringle. The third was born. He says, I immediately put my college education and funeral service on hold and went on the road, living my wrestling dreams. Talk to us a little bit about the Mongolians. That's a almost forgotten name amongst modern fans. Yeah. I think that, uh, Percy had Mexican Mongolians or Puerto Rican Mongolians. One of the two, um, it depended upon where you shop for your Mongolians. A lot of times they were Yugoslavian and, and, or they were just Bill Eadie. But uh, it depended on what your Mongolian was, what type of Mongolian you wanted. And sometimes you'd go, I need me a Mexican Mongolian, or I need me a Puerto Rican Mongolian. I think there were even a couple of Samoan Mongolians. But uh, I think I think Percy had the Mexican variety. Well, around the same time, this is when he marries Diana, December 22nd, 1978. Uh, and then, uh, on July 28th, 1979, after he's finishing a five week tour of Japan, his first son, Michael Thomas is born. And, uh, he says that was a, a bit of a wake up call that he soon realized he's going to have extra responsibilities of being a father. And he's going to need this solid career to fall back on. And eventually he quits wrestling full time and goes back into the, the funeral profession in college. And that does feel like that's sort of par for course for a lot of folks when they're chasing their passion, but at the same time, real life responsibilities sort of put a stop to that. And I'm glad that he came back to wrestling, but that feels like a very familiar story in wrestling where you're sort of chasing your dream and then real life sort of pulls you back out. Well, especially at the time, because it wasn't the easiest business to break into. And when you did break into it, you didn't make the kind of money that you assumed everyone made and that didn't come until after several years of busting your ass and hitting the road. So 
yeah, it was a hard business to break into. And once you got into it, it was an even harder business to break through and rise up. Eventually he does receive his degree in mortuary science and then gets his funeral director slash embalmer certification from San Antonio college in San Antonio, Texas. And he actually maintained that license, uh, through the end of his life, which is pretty remarkable. It feels like, uh, Bill was always ready to have something to fall back on no matter what. And that wasn't just something that a young father considered important, but even as, uh, I don't know, an older adult, huh? Yeah, he was smart and he always knew that, you know, look, the day may come that he could have an injury or something could happen that he didn't want that interruption. And in the funeral industry, apparently there was always going to be jobs. People are always going to be dying. And he felt that that was a solid foundation to have in his back pocket at all times. Did he ever tell you any funny or interesting stories about working in a funeral home? You know, besides fucking undertaker's mom or whatever. Well, that was the best one. Um, you know, he, Paul used to talk about just different shit of becoming for lack of a better term. I'd call him Paul bear at that point, but no, uh, where he would become that funeral director. And if you know, Paul, again, he's, he's, Hilarious was hilarious and just, uh, Oh yes. But he would put on the face and, and it was, this is terrible. This is terrible to laugh at, but he would, he would go into his funeral parlor mode where he would become, Oh, I'm so sorry, dear. Please come on in. Oh yes. I knew bill. And, and he, and it was just, he'd look at it and goes, Hey guys, you know, it's a work. Mm. He goes, you've got to work. You, you've got to be empathetic as soon as that family walks in. He says, the family walks in, goes, they're going through a rough time. You've got to put on, you know, another face. You could be having the worst day or the greatest day in the world. You now have to put on your caring face and you have got to walk these people through one of the toughest things in their life. But he would add humor and shit as he would go through it. So it was, uh, you know, you have to do that with certain things. January 15th, 1985, he returns to wrestling full time. Uh, here, uh, Percival Pringle, the third is going to take it to a new level for both, uh, championship wrestling from Florida. And of course the Von Eric family's world-class championship wrestling in Texas. And he's going to be associated with a lot of top guys over the years. Rick rude, the assassin, blackjack Mulligan, Matt Bourne. Buzz Sawyer, the great Kabuki, Eric Embry, and he would also manage Lex Luger in Lex's first pro wrestling match. The Dingo Warrior, who we know is going to go on to be the ultimate warrior. Sugar Bear Harris, who's going to go on to be uh, Kamala, the Ugandan giant. He even played a role in an early Steve Austin's career. And how about even managing The Undertaker in his first professional match at the Sportatorium against Bruiser Brody? He's called Texas Red at the time. Man, pretty phenomenal story for him, even before he gets to the WWF. Oh, hell yeah. And Percy, you know, really started out Alabama. Then when he went to Florida for Eddie Graham was like his first big break and national exposure to where people really started noticing him. Uh, I had a mutual friend of ours in, in Tampa and Houston that would always just rave about 
Percy. And then when I met Oliver Humperdinck, uh, Hump would always talk about Percy Pringle and, oh, they need to bring Percy Pringle in here. He'd set this place on fire and shit. And instead of coming into the Mid-South, Percy went to Dallas and worked for Fritz. So I had seen a lot of his stuff, the early stuff he did with Rude, the stuff he did with the Missing Link early on in, in Tampa. And I'd never really heard a lot of his promo work until he went to Dallas. And that was the first time I really heard his promo work. And I remember Paul Bosch just thinking that he was too cartoony, too over the top and too much of a cartoon to ever be taken seriously in a, to be taken seriously in a real wrestling promotion. Yeah, that's uh it's a pretty cool thing to see happen for him because I'll admit I was not keeping up with these promotions at the time. I was a little WWF kid. So the first time I see Paul Bear, it's as Paul Bear. It wasn't until much later that I realized, man, he had quite the run before he ever got there. And he did something else that I think was maybe ahead of its time. In nineteen eighty nine, he wrote a book with Dennis Brandt called Inside Secrets on how to enter the exciting world of pro wrestling. And, uh, it was a pretty popular underground book at the time. And you can still see it on eBay every now and again. And he also, for like five years works as the writer and publisher of programs at live events for the USWA in Memphis and world class, of course, in Texas. And he also ran the fan club for world class. It's kind of fun to see the entrepreneurial spirit here where you, know, you sort of just travel his story where he's. Hey, I'm going to be a ringside photographer. Now I want to be a wrestler. Okay. Perhaps I'm better as a manager. Oh, but I can also write books and do programs and run fan clubs. Eventually he even starts promoting shows on his own in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, quite the little, uh, entrepreneur bill was. See, you say entrepreneur, I say survivalist because that's what you did to survive. And Big Bill Moody was able to figure out what needed to be done or what could be done better to enrich his income and to be able to to make more than just what a manager would make. So he worked in the office in world class and he would do whatever needed to be done. He would have side deals going on all over the place. He was a hustler. You know, he did what needed to be done to feed his family and be the best he could be. During his time in world-class, he actually wrestles Chris Von Erich when Chris first starts wrestling. And, uh, I think they had a tag match once where he even teamed with Steve Austin to take on Chris Von Erich and Chris Adams. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Chris Von Erich, the professional wrestler. What can you tell us about Chris? Never met him. Uh, maybe saw his match with Percy. I don't know, but I, I don't know a whole lot about him other than that at least Carrie and felt that, you know, he never should have been in the business that he really wanted to be in the business, but he, he never should have been in the business. I think it's been written over the years that he was a uh, much smaller in stature. And a lot of folks have said that's because his growth was stunted because of asthma medication. Did you ever hear something like that? It's something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but I know that those who knew him really liked him and Percy in particular, um, Percy felt sorry for him because he loved the business so much. And Percy was one to try and say, man, 
do something else in the business. You don't have to wrestle. There's other things you can do. Um, but he, he idolized Carrie, he being Chris and wanted to wrestle and the family, that's what they did. By God, they wrestled. So, you know, unfortunately we all know the ending to that story and it was a sad ending, but everyone that I ever spoke to knew Chris said he was a wonderful kid, just shouldn't have ever gotten in the ring. Yeah. And listen, I think it's, it's pretty cool of, of Percy to say he could do other stuff because he knew that because, you know, he was writing programs and ringside photography and uh, hell he even wrote a book. You know, we were talking about Paul bear being able to do other stuff and to, to still contribute. I don't think that's ever been more important than right now. And something I've actually been using for a little while, Bruce, I want to give everybody a sneak peek of, I, I know you've been using it too. A lot of us are, are typing more emails right now than ever before. And what has helped me step my game up is Grammarly. Whether you're communicating with your team online or working on a project, Grammarly is the digital writing tool you can always rely on to get your message across clearly and effectively. And here's what's cool about Grammarly. It works across multiple platforms like Gmail or Google Docs or Slack, and I use all three. And by the way, there's more to writing than catching spelling mistakes. Grammarly can help you write confidently no matter where you are. And if you really want to level up your professionalism, Grammarly has helped me in a major way. You see, Grammarly is the digital writing assistant that has helped more than 20 million people put their best words forward. Signing up for a Grammarly account is free and it gives you real-time spelling and grammar checks as you write. It works where you work, so you can communicate with clarity and confidence on every platform. Want deeper insights on your writing? Well, Grammarly Premium gives you advanced feedback on tone, word choice, punctuation, and more. This has been a game changer for me in my mortgage business. Uh, I cannot recommend it enough. Grammarly is super intuitive. Uh, it just lays right on top of whatever you're doing. In fact, as we've recorded this podcast today, uh, in my notes, Grammarly is, is helping me out. It's going to help you write like a pro with advanced real-time feedback. If you're ready to level up your writing for work or school or personal projects, this is it. And the premium features include advanced suggestions on grammar, punctuation, even sentence structure and style. It's the perfect writing companion for anyone who wants to stand out with every word. So harness the power of Grammarly on every platform. Again, it's the desktop editor. It's the browser plugin. It's a mobile app. They make it easy. Whether you're doing this on Twitter or LinkedIn or Gmail or Outlook, it's right there. Don't just say it, make a statement with clear, flawless text that's sure to impress. And by the way, you can get 20% off Grammarly premium when you sign up at grammarly.com forward slash wrestle. That's 20% off Grammarly premium at grammarly.com forward slash wrestle. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com forward slash wrestle. Uh, after being a baby face to the fans as a TV announcer, and then working with the promotion, he's brought back as a baby face manager of Eric Embry. When Embry booked and built the promotion around himself in an angle where they turned the world-class promotion heel, uh, Embry and Pringle would rebel against the promotion, trying to build towards an angle where they allowed themselves to destroy all mentions of the company and change its name, uh, to being affiliated with the USWA. Of course, at the time, your old pal. Jerry Jarrett was running things pretty famous story here. What are your thoughts on Fritz 
selling the territory to Jerry Jarrett and them trying to merge world-class and USWA? Well, not knowing a whole lot about it, other than what I've heard from Jerry Jarrett, that immediately discounts things with me. Um, tells me that there's probably another story uh, that actually happened. But the kids, Kevin and Carrie, were allegedly just kind of running the business into the ground. Not allegedly, shit, they were running the business into the ground. And Jerry came in. Uh, his story is, is that they called him to come in and save the territory. And Jerry came in, bought 51% of the company and kept the kids on. But um, it ended poorly, as most things do with Jerry Jarrett. And it uh, kind of exploded. But I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I know that your workhorses were guys like Bill Moody that was down there just busting his ass. And it's funny, you said Eric Embry and Babyface in the same sentence. And that always, that always astonished me. I liked Eric personally um, from his time, very limited that I was ever around him in San Antonio for Southwest Championship Wrestling. But Eric, to me, his, his work and his promos didn't do anything for me. And I never understood how he got over in territories like Dallas and things like that. Um, he didn't look like an athlete. He didn't. I don't know. I, 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 and I liked him. I liked the human being. A very smart guy. But I just I just never saw it. And, and I just questioned how hard he pushed himself and how hard he always put himself on top and uh, is – I didn't, I just didn't get it. I didn't get the Eric Embry experiment, so to speak. Well, what'd you think of this experiment? You know, you said you were always sort of suspect of anything with Jerry Jarrett. You're on the outside looking in. Did you think that, I mean, obviously world-class is on their way down. It's not nearly the, uh, the sort of industry leader that maybe it was once upon a time from a TV standpoint. I mean, their ratings were just unreal and their production was uh, ahead of everybody else once upon a time, but now there's a new market leader. Uh, the WWF has really leveled it up. You're there when all this is going down. When you heard, Hey, Jerry, Jarrett's going to buy world-class. Did you think at the time before you hated Jerry, Jarrett, did you think there was any chance that he would be able to pull the nose up? Or did you think that that territory, like most others was just dying on the vine? Well, my initial feeling was if Jerry Jarrett was going to bring the the Tennessee style to Dallas, I didn't think that would work. Reason being is that Dallas and had been accustomed to like a big man territory. Um, so there there were, there was there was a bit of question mark there. Bill Dundee came in to Mid South and and brought in the Rock and Roll Express and Terry Taylor and guys like that that were smaller and the midnight express and it's funny when you talk about them being smaller bobby and dennis were not small guys but they were smaller and compared to hacksaw jim duggan and jyd and things like that um so i questioned if he brought in the memphis memphis had a reputation being hokey and and just uh, very gimmicky and Dallas had never seen that, or they had seen some of it, but they 
for the most part, it was a big man territory. So I questioned that. Um, and my brother was working for Jerry at the time, and he was excited about having another place to go that wasn't in Tennessee. I think there was part of him that was hoping that they could actually open up Texas and run shows around there and kind of get out of the Tennessee bubble. Um, but it just didn't pan out. Didn't work out. Well, eventually things work out. Old Bill gets a call from the world wrestling federation. Talk to us about how this came to be from, from the best of your recollection. I think a lot of it has, um, over the years been credited to Rick rude. Um, maybe on one side of it. I mean, the, the bottom line was I was managing undertakers, brother love. Vince gave me the, uh, ultimatum. You got to choose one. Undertaker is such an attraction that he needs the complete package of the manager. And that's got to be you on the road all the time. You can be on the road with Undertaker full time, or you can be in the office full time, but you can't do both anymore. I chose the office. Then I got fired. Um, (laughs) but in, in doing that, it was like, okay. And if you're gone, how do we make that transition? We need someone for the undertaker. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick rude may have suggested Percy Pringle. I suggested Percy Pringle. Pat Patterson suggested Percy Pringle. Uh, I even think JJ had a hand in saying, Hey, what about Percy? So Percy had sent his shit in and Percy had been on the radar for other things. Um, but yes, I don't think that there was one single person that didn't highly recommend him that we spoke to that had worked with him previously. So he came in and he came in specifically. Ladies and gentlemen, WrestleMania is still going on. Bruce, uh, is that Randy Orton edge match over yet? Anyway, you were saying, Everybody had been recommending Bill and he had even sent his shit in. Yeah. So it, it was, he was coming in. He didn't know it. He just thought he was coming in as for a, uh, a job interview to do anything. And he was really being interviewed for the undertaker manager. They, they were looking for someone there, but as Vince always does, he may bring you in for one thing and use you for 10 other things. Um, they said, what do you do? You know, what, what are your hobbies? What do you do? He says, well, I'm a licensed mortician and everybody popped like, oh my God, you know, this couldn't be better that the guy that we're bringing in that we want to have managed the undertaker is a licensed mortician. It doesn't get any better than that. You can't write that. So I think at that point, his fate was sealed. He was he was going to be the undertaker's manager. And then as the story goes, when he came in, it was uh, road warrior Hawk who was like, Hey, what if we call him Paul bearer? Get it? Paul bearer. <laughs> and brought it to Vince and he became Paul bearer. Bill wrote about this experience saying, I called my friend ravishing Rick rude. who was working for the WWF at the time. 
I told Rick exactly what was going on in my life. And then I planned on moving back home to Alabama and go back to work in the funeral industry. He was very sympathetic and asked me not to make any quick decisions. In fact, Rick told me he would call me back before the end of the day. Uh, when we talked a couple hours later, he said, Vince wants you to call him at home. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Uh, and you know, he's immediately into what is this going to look like? And he falls back onto the sofa and, uh, eventually calls Vince McMahon sort of floored that this is all happening so quickly. And after 20 minutes, he, uh, finally makes the phone call and Vince asks him, where have you been all these years? And after some small talk, they agree to meet after the holidays, but now he's, uh, a little sleepless over the holidays because he's thinking about what could be, uh, the next morning though, his phone rings it's Vince McMahon's right-hand man. And he wants to know if he could catch an early afternoon flight to New York because Vince wants to see him sooner than expected. And, uh, of course the answer is positive. He gets on the plane and he says it's all happening so quickly. He can hardly digest them. Um, as he walks down the jetway at JFK, a well-dressed man holding a card with his name written across it, identifies himself and they bring him to the limo. So he's getting the, uh, the limo treatment. And Bill would write, I actually felt like I was one of the Beverly hillbillies as the limo driver took me through New York city and into Connecticut. And we finally arrive at a majestic five-star hotel in Stanford, where I was whisked away to my penthouse suite. And I wasn't in the room five minutes before my phone rang. And it was Pat Patterson who said, Percy Vince wants to see you at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'll pick you up at nine 45. In the meantime, just eat and drink and do anything you want and just sign your name. It's all courtesy of Titan sports. Uh, Bruce, a lot has been made of this, this sort of routine that, that Vince would do this dog and pony show. We're going to fly you in first class, have you picked up in a limo, put you up in the penthouse suite, get you show tickets. We've heard that story from Ted DiBiase and so many others. This was Vince McMahon recruiting one Oh one here. Was it not? Well, I, I mean, I don't know any other way, really. Um, I think that it's just the way that we've always done business, that you bring someone in, and especially talent, to meet with Vince, and that's what you do. And it's I, – I don't know that anybody looked at it really any other way, that talent comes in to meet with Vince, you're, you're treated in a first-class way, and you're brought in and – you want to be here. So make it easy. By the way, this is all happening. When he walks into Vince's office the next day, it's December 22nd, 1990. So about a month after survivor series where undertaker debuted, if you keep in score at home, it's a re pretty remarkable day for it to happen for Percy, because that's actually his wedding anniversary. He says he and Vince talked about everything under the sun and that Vince made him feel at home right away. But of course, like, anyone in this spot. And I don't know why, but this always tickles me. Percy brought a resume and handed him his resume and Vince just sort of laughs at that. And then eventually reads on the resume that he has a degree in mortuary science. And McMahon of course follows up. This is too much. And he didn't know Percy being he pronouns pal, that the reason he's here is they're looking for a manager of the undertaker. And it just feels like the perfect match. He had a WWF contract in hand right then. And, um, he's back on the road in professional wrestling, but this time, uh, under the big top, 
January, 1991, he becomes Paul bearer managing the undertaker. And of course, William's going to totally change his appearance from Percy Pringle. If you haven't seen a picture of uh, Bill Moody as Percy Pringle, throw it in your Google machine. Uh, but the Paul bearer presentation, as we know, is a pasty white face and jet black hair. Percy, by the way, had like bleach blonde hair and he's holding the urn that gives the undertaker sort of magical powers. Talk to me about where the appearance of the Paul bearer character comes from. Is this uh, just a collaborative effort or is this something creative services hands him and says, Hey, gotta do this. Well, it wasn't that hard to do. You looked at him and I know that Vince was not real keen on the bleach blonde hair and all that look thought he looked, uh, like an old wrestling manager, so to speak, but, uh, wanted it to be dark, wanted it just never had black hair before. And I don't think that, uh, Percy had, so, so let's dye your hair black. And I think that in a lot of respects, the model was Gomez Adams from the Adams family. The kooky and the spooky, the Adams family. So uh, that's kind of what you based it on. One of the things that becomes a signature for the Paul Bear character is uh, the phrase, oh, yes. And Bruce, we've went a long time in this episode so far, and, and we haven't had you hit it once. Can you give us one? Oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, and, and he's doing this from ringside when the Undertaker's beating up his opponents. This uh, this feels like it would have been Percy's idea because even a few minutes ago, as you were explaining that being a funeral director is really just working, and and as you were welcoming someone into the building in, in your sort of demonstration a few minutes ago, you even said, "Oh yes, I knew so and so." That's tremendous to me that that's just part of his funeral director gimmick in real life. And now he's just going to turn the volume of it up here for TV and a live crowd. Right. Yeah. And you know, to this day, I, I have people sometimes that the first time I meet them, uh, and, and this was the routine with me and Percy for many, many years was when Paul bear was introduced. He was introduced on the brother love show. And, and I was handling over, handing over the undertaker to a man that would suit him better. And I remember saying, what's your name? Paul, 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 what? Paul bearer. Did you hear what he said? It's Paul bearer. And Paul Barrett would do that to me, like just almost every time that we saw each other, um, <laughs> for just many, many years, even to, even to the end, what's your name? And, uh, did you hear it's Paul bearer? Um, just, that was some fun, good shit. And, and that came from, you know, that little bit kind of came from the, the mind of road warrior Hawk. Tremendous. Uh, that's so fun to talk about this era for me. Um, talk to us a little bit about how we fit in with everybody. You know, he probably met a lot of these guys working either in, you know, Florida or Tennessee or Texas. D did he immediately fit in with this, uh, traveling band known as the WWF? 
Yeah, because Paul had worked with so many of the guys. He'd worked with Undertaker before. He'd worked with Rude and a lot of the guys in either Dallas and or Florida. So they knew who he was. And Bill Moody had a hell of a reputation. So not hard to not hard not to like him. Uh, there were people that hated him, but for the most part, if you knew him, you loved him. Talk to us a little bit about those two as a, as a traveling companions, you know, we we've heard over the years that undertaker would, uh, would be known to party and enjoy some Jack, some Jack Daniels and, and maybe go hit a shoe show or two. Is that the similar lifestyle that, that Paul bear was into, or, or were they sort of the odd couple as a traveling pair? No, they travel very well together. Most of the times, Paul Bearer would drive and, you know, actually act as the manager and take care of the undertaker and make sure the hotels were taken care of and whole thing. Paul liked to relax with the Jack and Coke as well. So they were, they were a good pairing. Let's talk about the, uh, the interview segment you guys are going to give him, you know, once upon a time, there was a barber shop and there was a snake pit and there was a uh, a flower shop and, and there was the brother love show and so many of these iconic sort of follow-ups to the original Piper's pit. His is going to be the funeral parlor. Talk to us about how that segment came to be, uh, who would have been involved in like the set design. I think you and I even saw some of those set pieces for the first time in forever. Uh, somehow Ben Brown with the WWE warehouse still has some of that stuff. Talk to us about the funeral parlor. Well, the funeral parlor was to replace the brother love show and it was time for me to put brother love on hiatus. And we had warrior come out and destroy the brother love show and damn near kill me in the process. Um, then that was also the, the spark of warrior and undertaker too, right after that. So we replaced that with the funeral parlor and it was just, uh, believe it was the guy's name was Dr. Paint that actually designed all that shit and built the funeral parlor. So same concept, you know, Piper Spit, Brother Love Show, funeral parlor. And it was easy for, for Paul to do. And I think most people got it right away. Yeah, they definitely did. You know, one of the more memorable segments, I guess there's a couple that really stand out for me. Uh, but the one where the undertaker, uh, locked, uh, the ultimate warrior inside the casket, that one stands out. I think Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair first have their face to face confrontation on TV for the first time on the funeral parlor. I mean, some pretty memorable segments, uh, you know, they, well, the, the funny thing is the warrior one that we did, you know, Vince had this vision. However, at the time, this was like 1990, I guess in that time frame and or 91, whatever the hell it was, but you couldn't purchase a casket. Mm. Okay. So you could only purchase a casket if someone was dead and they were going to be buried in, buried in it, but you couldn't walk in off the street and purchase a casket. Now I think you can get them at Costco. So we had to use Paul bearers, mortician license and his connections to get a casket to do the, the whole thing. And our, we brought, uh, it was myself, Vince and actually Mike Hegstrand road warrior, 
Hawk because he was about the same size as the warrior that we went with Paul Bearer. Um, I want to say there's somebody else with us. Pat might have been with us as well. But to go and buy the casket, we used Hawk to see how big it would be. And that's how we bought it. And that's when I first, that was my first time ever in a casket. <laughs> that's not a sentence you hear very often. Yeah. I, I mean, and I've, I've been in a few others since. Um, some people wish I would have stayed there. However, the, uh, they're very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, people say rest in peace. Fuck that, man. That shit hurts. It's, it's not comfortable. It looks comfortable as hell. You know, you look at it when you go to a funeral shit, motherfucker looks like they're sleeping. They're having a grand old time, man. You think there's like a goddamn Tempur-Pedic mattress or something in there. It's, they're the shit. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, that's the, that's how we had to get the caskets. We had to use Paul's connections to get the caskets, to get the body bags, all that stuff. Uh, we had to use his license and use his his stuff to get all that in the beginning. Now, again, it's, it's no problem we get that kind of shit. It's tremendous. Uh, do you remember any of these uh, funeral parlor segments that really stood out to you? You know, locking the Undertaker or locking the Ultimate Warrior in there or when they slammed the casket on Undertaker's hand and he just drags it behind him. Some pretty memorable moments here. Oh, they were great. And for me being there, it was the one with, uh, the ultimate warrior when we locked him in because ultimate warrior, once I got him locked in, he had all the people out there and they're like hammering on the thing and trying to get it off. And I dare say that warrior wasn't the most, um, well liked to people, especially at that time. And so you, you can see that some of the people with the sledgehammer, uh, using the sledgehammer to try to open the casket and jarring that casket around quite a bit and, and shit like that pounding on it. So it was like some people got their, got their feelings out <laughs> on that segment, so to speak. But it was to me that was one of the most iconic ones because you that's where we first did the air being sucked out of the yep. Yep. the casket because we would ask Paul you know what happens and he would give us the whole process about how when you lock the casket and then you you do actually suck all the air out to preserve the body and then you put it in a concrete crypt and then that's you know you lower it in and all this other shit. Um, so it, you know, I learned an awful lot about funerals and cemeteries and shit like that from Paul Bear through the years. Let's uh, let's keep it going here. Let's talk about. Um, I mean, I guess we should mention that the Undertaker starts off as a heel. I mean, obviously we're talking about locking the Ultimate Warrior in caskets and shit, but then eventually he turns face, which is pretty remarkable. Um. I don't think this actually happens when you're there, but he stops Jake, the snake from doing they're paired together. He and Jake are, and they're going to ruin the macho man's wedding reception at SummerSlam 91. And eventually, uh, the Undertaker, Ain't good for Sid justice. Uh-huh. Yeah. They take Sorry. things a little too far, even for the undertaker. And somehow we turn the undertaker baby face, which is just 
remarkable. You think about it. It's a baby face undertaker. This is crazy. Well, probably three or four months into the undertaker run. Okay. Don't everybody fall off your goddamn chairs when I say this, but me, Vince and undertaker were going to the gym and some of the music that, uh, I would use to gym music would be ACDC in hell's bells. And it's like, what are you listening to? I'm like, hell's bells. And I ah, got damn good shit. And I said, I'm listening to it because I see a hell of a fucking video with undertaker to hell's bells. God damn it. You'll make him a fucking baby face. I said, he is a fucking baby face. Look at this fucking big motherfucker. And this is when I was still managing him. So Vince said, you know, no, God damn it. You know, not yet. Yes. One day, but you do that and you got to turn him right away. So those seeds to me, they were there because I was walking out with him every night and I felt it. They loved him. They, they were in awe of him, but he was so unique and so special that they were digging the shit he was doing. Okay, Bruce, let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about rad power bikes. This is something that wasn't on mine and your radar. Not that long ago. I'll be honest. I, I didn't even really know what the hell an electric bike was. And then someone had to explain it to me and I got it because my fat ass doesn't want to get out there and get hot and sweaty. I, I'm not for it, but I do like being outdoors, especially now. And the electric bike for commuting seemed like a fun idea, but getting outdoors with this thing, that's what I'm really digging. And what's great about rad power bikes is they've got a one size fits all solution. When I started to look at electric bikes, uh, I realized that they're sort of niche, right? So this one is for the road and this one's for outdoor you, rad power bike can do it all. They've got a ton of great press. They've been voted the best, most affordable electric bike in five categories by electricbikereview.com. In fact, they're the largest electric bike brand in North America. And I know what you're thinking. If you're me a couple of months ago, what in the hell is an electric bike? It's a cross between a traditional bike and a moped. And that's what makes it unique because these e-bikes are affordable and they're built for every purpose. Like we said, commuting, getting out in nature, even taking kids around town. But unlike a moped, you don't need like a special driver's license for this. So this is awesome. Uh, if you're looking for a way to get outside and enjoy the outdoors, this is the way, man. It's, uh, it's easy. And by the way, you can go up to 20 miles an hour without pedaling. And that's mine and your speed. Is it not Bruce? Absolutely. Because I love the outdoors, but sometimes you just want to enjoy it and not have to exert too much effort. They're affordable. How about this? All the bikes start at 1200 bucks and they're all under 1500. Compare that to other e-bikes. They're like three grand a pop. This is great for whatever you're doing, even hauling groceries. And to show appreciation for those who serve us, Rad Power Bike is offering $100 off all e-bike purchases for active and ex-military, first responders, teachers, even students. They've also got a dedicated US-based support system, which is available to you seven days a week to answer any questions or concerns. And this makes one hell of a gift for someone who loves being active and loves the outdoors. And right now, Rad Power Bikes is offering flexible financing for as low as 0% APR. You hear me? 0% APR. And right now, get a limited time offer. Get a free accessory with the purchase of a bike. That's right. You get a free gift of up to $100 in value, and you get free shipping to the lower 48 states. 
and you get this special offer by texting the word Bruce to 64,000. That's Bruce to 64,000. Text B-R-U-C-E to 64,000. You'd be glad you did. All right, let's keep it moving here. You know, for a long time after this, uh, the undertaker is a, a tippy top guy. I mean, he's working top of the cards, uh, pretty consistently and you, we've touched on it before, but I mean, very quickly in his run, he's positioned with the, uh, the immortal Hulk Hogan, but fast forward. And it feels like once he's a baby face now, you know, post WrestleMania eight, uh, he's one of the, the more, uh, foundation characters of the company over these next you know, years when, when he is the baby face top guy, does anything stand out to you about their run together with Paul Bearer? I mean, we've often heard about, you know, the urn and the powers of the urn and how he would be getting the casket ready for Yokozuna, lots of sort of barnyard and graveyard vignettes, but that feels like it would have been right up your alley from a production standpoint. Yeah, we had a, we had a shitload of fun when I returned the, in 91 or two, I always get those years mixed up. A lot of fun. Anyway, whenever I returned after the SummerSlam in Wembley Stadium. That's 92 when you came back. 92, okay. So Undertaker was working with Kamala, and that's where Kamala's casket came from. So the vignettes of Undertaker at the wood shop and and building the casket, Kamala's casket. I did all of those. And that was like one of the first things that I was able to go out and and do on my own when I came back. And that's the kind of shit that I just love to do. Um, that was fun. All of the graveyard stuff that we used to go do and take him out and whatever his opponent was, the shit with Mick Foley, the buried alive match. Those were, that was just classic shit because I got to do both Mick. I did Mick and, and Taker point counterpoint on those. And that was before the days of writing every goddamn word for people. But I, I wrote out outlines of exactly what I wanted each one to hit each week and how it would escalate each week. Then, uh, just still my favorite line is when, Mick Foley was out there as mankind and they're, they're digging the hole, they're digging the hole. And finally it was pouring down rain and Mick slipped and fell into the hole. And we had to get the shot and everything, get it back. And everybody's laughing so damn hard because he wasn't supposed to fall into the hole. And when he gets in there and I start laughing, I go, I said, hang on, hang on, Mick. I said, when you get down there, when you do it, you need to just sit up look around, stretch out, like lay down in it, and then look up and up to Paul and go, Uncle Paul, this hole's too short for the undertaker. Um, so then you got the, the thing that actually it had been undertaker who had been out there digging the hole and the hole was for mankind. So then that was revealed afterwards, but it was that kind of shit. I just loved because you got, you had Paul with mankind at the time. And, and it was, it was just so much fun back, back and forth with those guys and just pure gold. I, I loved, I loved working with Paul bear cause he could be surly as hell and, but fuck, he would deliver. 
Let's talk about, uh, you brought up mankind SummerSlam 96, you know, undertakers involved in the feud with mankind here. And a few months earlier, back at King of the ring, mankind actually got a win over the undertaker, which is pretty uncommon in this era. That leads to the boiler room brawl here at SummerSlam 96 and to win the match, either man has to take the urn from Paul in the ring. Uh, an undertaker is about to get it. Paul's hesitant to give it to him. And finally, Paul hits the undertaker in the head, hands it to mankind. Mankind gets the win. It's a big deal to see this duo that's been together since 1990. I mean, it's some, they're synonymous. I mean, they're salt and pepper here. And now Paul bear is going to turn heel against the undertaker. what do you think of the decision to split them up? And, and how did the guys take it? I think in the beginning, they, they took it kind of hard. Like, huh, well, what's the undertaker to do without Paul bear? And upon further examination, undertaker was looking at it like, well, this is an opportunity for him to cut promos and, and do a little bit more. Uh, I don't think that mankind necessarily needed Paul, but it was such a shock at the time that we thought, yeah, fuck it, man. Let's, let's try this. And it was, it, it shocked the audience. And, and it was one that I think in a lot of ways, it was that next step and next logical step for the undertaker to take. Do you think, um, that Paul bear may have the real life bill Moody may have been a little job scared when the split happens. I mean, it feels like as long as you have your, your trailer hitch to a star, like the undertaker, he's going to be here for as long as he wants to be. So as long as I'm with him, I'm good. But when that pair is split, maybe there's something to be nervous about. I think there was a little trepidation on Paul bears part, but I also think that, um, he understood this is, this is a way for him to, um, do something new, do something different. And it was a way maybe for him to grow a stable. And he looked at it as a, uh, look, Bill Moody looked at it as a, an opportunity and a vote of confidence that he could do it with someone else. So he looked at it positively at first. I think he was paranoid as shit, but then he was like, yeah, no, I can do this. Whenever mankind's doing interviews after this, he would often refer to Paul as uncle Paul. How do you think the, uh, the mankind Paul bear duo did compared to say the original undertaker, Paul bear. There's no comparison to the original undertaker, Paul bear. However, I think, uh, obviously Kane and Paul bear is, is second, but third would be mankind and Paul bear. I thought they were excellent together. Well, we try something else. You know, you mentioned the buried alive vignettes. Well, when that match actually happens two months after. Um, I think it's two months after. Yeah. Two months after we would see a new person introduced into this new Paul bear sort of heel faction, the executioner, the former Terry Gordy is under a mask here and he's going to get involved and become uh, sort of one of Paul bears henchmen. It doesn't last very long, uh, but still, uh, this probably was, was fun for, for Paul to have his old Freebird pal around. It was, you know, it's one of those, 
another double-edged sword where yes it was fun however it was kind of sad at the same time because it was on the decline of of terry gordy and it wasn't the robust terry that we had all known and, and grown to love so that that part was a little difficult for him just seeing his friend not be what he used to be I'm sure we'll talk about that another time. Let's talk about the 97 Royal rumble. A couple of months after we would see, uh, Paul help Vader pin the undertaker. And from there he becomes Vader's manager. This is an interesting pairing. I can't imagine these guys were best of friends. We've tried Jim Cornette as a manager for Vader here in the company. Now we're going to try it with Paul bearer. Is it more of, we need Vader to have a mouthpiece. We need Paul bearer to have something else to do. Or is it just simply, Hey, anyone who's sort of, um, a rivalry of the undertaker, Paul bear is going to be across the ring from him. A little bit of a little bit of all of it. It was a way to freshen up Vader's character. And I don't think that, I don't think that Leon ever cut really great promos. Leon always had a manager to cut, cut his promos for him. So he needed someone and it was different. And going back to what you said in the beginning, yeah, this doesn't rank up there on Paul Bearer's list of, oh boy, this is my favorite guy I ever managed. Because it, it, it wasn't a lot of chemistry there. And I don't think that Leon was happy having Paul as a spokesman. And, and Paul wasn't happy being with Leon who didn't feel he needed him or wanted him. We should mention that, uh, 97, you know, after this, uh, Royal rumble is behind us. This is when we start to get Paul Baird doing the tease of, Hey, I know undertaker's deepest, darkest secret. And unless the undertaker joins back with me, I'll tell the world. Of course, the undertaker does reluctantly, um, but eventually breaks away from him. And that's when bear starts to claim that the undertaker started a fire, which killed his parents and his younger brother, and that's where their association first started. And I don't know, pretty remarkable story. Sort of tell us how this whole thing lays out, because if I try to recap it, I'll probably start laughing, but I know it's something that uh, you don't think is is a laughing matter at all. It's not a laughing matter, goddammit. It was... When Undertaker was just a little baby Undertaker, <laughs> all right, he was kid. All right, he was kid. He was teenager, little rambunctious, little rebellious. And during this time, the Undertaker had a baby brother, Kane. Kane was his baby brother, and he loved his baby brother. And Undertaker had been, you know, one to to play with uh, a match from time to time. And while playing with matches one time, he accidentally caught the entire funeral home on fire, killing his mom and his dad and presumably his brother. The only thing that was interesting about this was the gentleman that was the mortician in that funeral hall, Mr. Paul Bearer, he miraculously survived. Now, little did we know at the time, that the mortician, Paul Bearer, had been diddling Undertaker's mama. And when she became pregnant with child, 
hence Cain. That that was not Undertaker's dad's child. It was actually Paul Bearer's child. So Paul Bearer, to remove all this, is the one who actually set the fire that killed Undertaker's parents. And unbeknownst to Undertaker, Cain survived that fire along with his father, none other than Paul Bearer. Now, Cain didn't escape without some scars. <laughs> so he had to go to a special home where they send fire-scarred children to deal with the emotional baggage of his mom diddling the mortician. Mm-hmm. And then at the right time, Paul Bear was able to tell this secret and to say, hey, your brother, well, he's my son. And I diddled your mama. <laughs> right there on the embalming table. Now, any anyone that would hear this, of course, would be upset. Because you heard those strange words, those strange sounds coming from the embalming room, and you just thought that mom and Paul Bear were having a hard time cutting up, sawing open a cadaver. <laughs> you never knew that it was Paul Bear penetrating <laughs> Undertaker's mama, oh, planting a seed within oh. that would then grow. Become life. And Undertaker loved his baby brother, Cain. But on the other side, that evil fucking Paul Bearer told Cain, your brother left you for dead. I saved you. I saved your life. And your brother has never even asked about you. I've tried many times. They'd say, fuck Cain. I don't care about Cain. That was, yeah, fuck him. I, I was trying to kill him. He never once asked about his baby brother Cain in the little burn center for the children. Not once. So there is a story of Paul Bearer diddling Undertaker's mama creating Cain, and then burning the house down and getting rid of the damn mom and dad, taking the baby <laughs> and kicking Undertaker out to go make it on his own. And the only reason that Paul Bearer came back to help the Undertaker was to bring him in closer until Cain... And the surgeries, the many, many reconstructive surgeries that he went through until he was finally able to confront his brother. Look him in the eye, because he only had one good one. And say, fuck you, you Wendy-looking motherfucker. I'm Cain, and I'm here 
to be the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. <laughs> you motherfucker, you. Now, we took out the motherfucker, you part in the original <laughs> promo. But the rest of that shit was all in there, trust me. Oh, you motherfucker, you. Because <sighs> that's what a cane would say. You know, Bruce, I got to tell you all this talk about, uh, Paul bear and undertaker's mama. It makes me wonder, um, you reckon Paul bear used blue chew to get his dick real hard for undertaker's mama. Oh yes. Guys, you remember the days when you were always ready to go. Don't you wish that you could have some rigor mortis in your dick today? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. It's blue chew. That's blue. Like the color blue bluechew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, blue chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. And by the way, blue chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians. So you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy and it ships right to your door, all in a discreet package. And since they're made in the USA and it prepares and ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy and best of all, no more awkwardness. And right now we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free. When you use our special promo code wrestle, just pay $5 shipping. Paul, how do you spell this website? And what's the special offer again? Me. H E W dot com. Oh, yes. Promo code is Wrestle to try it for free. Just pay the $5 shipping. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Let's give a serious testimonial here, Paul. When you took Blue Chew the first time, did it really make your dick that much harder? Oh, yes. <laughs> Bluechew.com. Use the promo code Wrestle. Let's keep it moving here. Uh, as you mentioned, hell in a cell, 1997 in your house, bad blood undertakers, wrestling, Shawn Michaels. This is where we see the debut of Kane, uh, in 1998 undertaker is going to turn heel, start feuding with Steve Austin and Paul is going to turn on Kane. And, um, well, he never liked that little illegitimate <laughs> bastard anyway, but later Undertaker and Kane become a heel team, uh, with Paul bear as their manager. And, and apparently it works pretty well because Paul is even named the manager of the year by pro wrestling illustrated. Oh my God. What an honor. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about, uh, Kane and, and, and that, that, that's kind of like being on that, the, the, that dirt sheet award fucking thing. Oh boy. What a fucking honor. Chat me up undertaker. Kane, how are they as a, a traveling duo? Uh, same thing, man. They're great. You know, Paul Bear would would actually take on the role of a manager in many ways, and he he took care of Kane. They traveled together. Um, Kane wasn't quite the partier that Undertaker was, but that didn't stop Paul, and he he would still have his Jack and Coke. But they traveled together and and got along great. Chat me up about, um, you know, where we are 
with, uh, with Paul bear sort of behind the scenes, what, what else is he doing? Is it, is it just on screen managerial or this entire run so far from say 90 to, I don't know, 98, 99, did he handle any other backstage duties or was it strictly on air talent? No, Paul was strictly an on-air talent during that time. Not until he got out of the ring did he, you know, try to do some things backstage. Let's talk about that. In 2000, Paul has taken off the road. His decision or the company's decision? I think it was a little bit of both. Probably more so the company's decision than his. Um, it just had been a hell of a long run. And they were looking to change things up a little bit and give him some time and not necessarily, this is it, this is the end for you, but we could find some other things for you to do and give that character a rest, put it on the shelf for a little while. Uh, Bill would write when not active on TV programming, I stayed busy backstage during the events as an agent and stage manager also assisted in the Federation's talent development department, where I would scout future in-ring talent, several of which are on WWE's active roster today. Talk about his behind the scenes roles as maybe the on-screen starts to wind down that we, uh, we start helping in some other areas. Well, Pooh Bear, uh, obviously very talented and had a lot, had a lot to offer. So he didn't want to move to Connecticut. He didn't want to be a part of, of the everyday booking and things of that nature. So that kind of limits you there a little bit. Uh, but he wanted to be involved at TVs. He still wanted to be on the road. He still wanted to be come out and, and do whatever he could. So he had a good eye for talent and we used Paul to go to Tennessee and go to these different places and scout talent and report back to us, but also he could be our eyes and ears out there and, and help, um, help us find new talent. Cause that's what we were always in search of. Well, ultimately it, it doesn't work out. Uh, he's released from the company, October 14th, 2002. Talk to us a little bit about what leads to his release here. I think it was a combination of, it was a little bit different and Paul kind of like me had always been in a position where he did everything. And I don't know that he was really satisfied and just doing, I, they put him at the gorilla position to try and, and work there. And it just wasn't a good fit. It was in a lot of respects, that aspect of doing live TV and trying to call it on the fly. Um, very stressful and extremely fast paced. And Paul didn't really fit into that fast paced world at that point. Um, Paul liked to plan very organized. Um, so that didn't work. And I don't know that his communication sometimes with Vince was always the best. I did think, I definitely did think that him scouting talent being out there, I thought that he was a valuable asset there. I just think that at the time, for whatever reason, um, others didn't. And they, they felt that he was expendable and um, moved on. And I don't think, I don't think Paul was happy at the time either. Who, who thought he was expendable? Uh, I don't think that 
that Vince saw the same thing that we did. And I think, you know, Jr. was kind of put in a position of well, what else is he going to do? And sometimes if you're not involved in something directly, you don't understand the value of it. Mm-hmm. And by saying, well, he's really good at scouting and he's uh, great eyes and ears because he was, he sent us detailed shit. He was honest and I respected his opinion. Um, but it's like, well, that's it. He's just going to give you reports. It's like, well, it's more than that. It's he's out there. He's mentoring people. He's teaching. Um, I just don't think that at that time in the developmental system that that was viewed upon as that valuable when you're looking at making cuts and you're looking at how many people you have out there that if people don't know what they're doing, it's like, ah, you don't need that. Well, let's talk about it. After he's cut, he finds a home with, uh, the new upstart TNA. He's going to become Percy Pringle. The third again, did you ever talk to, uh, to bill about how he felt about being in TNA? I mean, after all this time, with being with the, the top wrestling organization. Now it feels like he's more back to his roots. He's with an upstart company, uh, trying to just gain some traction, but he still loves wrestling. So something's better than nothing. Yeah, it is. I'm not sure that, uh, he was real keen on, on my friend. Oh, good old Jerry Jarrett. He liked Jeff, but I don't know that he necessarily agreed with everything else that was going on. I think that he took it as a job and he took it as something to keep him busy and still stay in the wrestling business. But to say that at the time, at least to me, because I did continue to talk to him and I did stay in touch with him. I don't know that. And he might've just been saying this to me too. I I don't know that he believed in the, in the cause, so to speak, he's gone for a year. You know, he leaves in October of Oh two. Uh, he's back in October of Oh three Meltzer would write WWE wanted him back with undertaker, but at first he refused before, fi- before finally signing a contract in October, partially due to Jim Ross agreeing that the company would give him a signing bonus that would allow him to pay for his gastric bypass surgery. After recovering, he returned at WrestleMania 20 in undertaker's corner for his match with Kane. Um, let's talk about the, the gastric bypass. He, he undergoes that surgery, November 25th, 2003. Uh, the, the hits keep coming. He has to have emergency gallbladder surgery on, on May 24th, 2004. We'll talk about the 04 surgery later, but it's a pretty big deal to have gastric bypass surgery anytime, but especially in 2003 before, uh, you know, that we had as much knowledge of that as we do now. Were you guys concerned for Percy? I mean, obviously he was having serious weight issues. We haven't really touched on that here on the show, but a gastric bypass in 03 uh, was still a relatively new procedure. Well, sure it was, but at the same time in, in 03, whatever it was, it was so much further than it was in 98. Right. So they thought they had it perfected at that point that this, the, the band was the way to go. So it was something that he wanted to do, but it was, we were looking at Paul, if you're going to go away, get healthy, 
you need to drop some weight, a lot of weight, and we need you to get healthy. With that being said, he needed help. And he needed he needed help in the way of a, a bypass surgery. So we helped him out. Because again, it's like you'd rather have him healthy than than not, and it was the right thing to do. Talk about that WrestleMania twenty, you know, sort of reemergence of the Undertaker. What a spectacle it was. Paul Bear there with him. Uh pretty fitting moment here, is it not? That if he's going to old school Undertaker, he needs Paul Bear with him. He did, and that was something that the Undertaker felt strongly about. It was something that I felt strongly about. And to do that, you know, we we needed to have him in some kind of shape. And and even when we got him then, I don't know that you know, Paul wasn't able to to get into the ring. You know, he he got out there that day and couldn't get up the steps. He needed something to hold on to. So um, we realized there's still this road. <laughs> we still got a ways to go on this road to get him back and, and get him healthy. And we thought, well, let's let's figure out a way to just get him through this and then get him on some kind of a program to to get back in the swing of things and where we can use him from time to time. We weren't going to use him all the time because of his health, but we felt that we could use him from time to time for special attractions and pay-per-views with The Undertaker. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it that, I mean, Paul Bear lost 120 pounds here from the time he has the surgery until WrestleMania 20. So I guess that's four months, so like a pound a day he's losing here. But one of the side effects is he can't consume enough protein to not feel, uh, very weak specifically with his legs. And that's going to make travel more challenging. And then he gets this massive attack where it feels like he's got a pitchfork in his side. He's going to have to have gallbladder surgery here in May of Oh four. And while bill would write that this is actually a blessing in disguise for him personally. It's not good news for the Paul bear character while he's going to be out convalescing Paul bears absence on TV has to be explained. So they do a kidnapping and Paul bear and the Dudleys are, uh, going to ask the undertaker to do the right thing. Tell everybody about this storyline, the great American bash 2004. Oh God. I've tried to forget it. Terrible idea. Um, and I'm not saying that in, in hindsight, I think that we all felt it was majority of us felt it was a terrible idea. No, not all of us thought it was a terrible idea, but, um, it just, it, it was, it was hokey. It didn't work. It was, um, I didn't like it. And I just wish we wouldn't have done it. Uh, let's talk about what we're doing. We should mention that, uh, this is a, a time where we've got the, the newly old school undertaker who's just come back at WrestleMania. And now he finds himself in a weird spot here. It's a handicap match. It's the main event and it's what's called a concrete crypt match. It's going to go 14 minutes and change, but it's the undertaker taking on the Dudley boys. 
in a handicap match. And the Dudley boys are managed by Paul Heyman. And they're trying to find a way to sort of write the Paul Bear character off TV. And Bill would write, notwithstanding the pleas for my supporters within the company to the contrary, Mr. McMahon was determined that the great American bash would mark the end of Paul Bearer. I had no choice, but to follow the script, even though at the time I was blind to the fact that it was all happening for my personal well-being. being such a successful businessman that he is Vince McMahon truly cares for his employees. The fact that fact has been proven with many talents through the years over and over again. He was concerned that something might happen to me on the road while I was struggling to regain a normal life during my weight loss. And after an almost 14 year relationship, Vince knew me better than I was willing to admit. Oh man, you just feel bad for him because you know, he wants to be there, but his body won't let him. And ultimately, even though the undertaker gets the win, he, uh, is urged by the Dudleys to do the right thing. So even though he wins, he pulls a lever. It's going to send cement into the crypt, which is going to completely bury literally Paul bear and suffocate him with concrete. And the following week, SmackDown bear is acknowledged to be alive, although gravely injured for storyline purposes. And, uh, I think it's written that the rehearsal taping earlier in the day, the undertaker was sort of ad libbing and only half of the stunt complete in an empty arena. And it's accidentally broadcast. Uh, to some satellite feeds either way, though, the concrete crypt, is there anything else to say about this sort of weird ending to the Paul bear character that you can share with us? Other than I hated it. Not really. Uh, I mean, I, that kind of speaks for itself and it just, uh, we've all done some goofy shit. This was just, this is up there with, with Katie Vick. His regular contract as a talent that he signed on October 3rd, 2003 would have expired July 10th, 2005. Uh, but on June 8th, 05, he signs a multi-year legends deal. We've talked a little bit about legends deals before, but we haven't gotten specific. Explain what a legends deal is to some of our listeners who may not be familiar. Well, I, as far as I know, it's just, it's a contract that will help you get booked and you're, you're paid a certain amount not a lot of money, but it, it's, they're paid a yearly amount and then they're booked, uh, from time to time and the bookings go through the office and you're, you're part of the family still. Other than that, I really don't know. I don't have one. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, when Paul gets that contract extension, if he's firing up a little celebratory cigar. Is that something that, I mean, that's pretty common. We would see lots of back of the bus photos of that crew smoking cigars back in the day. Wouldn't we, Bruce? Yeah. You know, every once in a while I have a nice little puff. Well, go to cup If you're looking to get a little puff, it's the home of over 50 brands of cigars and they've got every brand you could need, man. Acid Java, uh, Rocky Patel, Kristoff, Monte Cristo. It's the place to be. And by the way, we should mention your local cigar store is probably closed right now, but we got you covered. Oh, and how about this? We're even shipping internationally. And you can get free shipping when you spend more than 95 bucks. So if your order's 95 bucks, free shipping in the U.S. Whether you're looking to try a new cigar and a single or get a whole box, it doesn't get any better than cupofjoes.com. They got great prices. They got excellent customer service. Don't take our word for it. Check out cupofjoes.com forward slash podcast. 
for exclusive deals for something to wrestle. Oh, and by the way, you can also give them a call at 1-888-689-6876 to reach a cigar specialist. They really know their stuff. Our cigars are carefully stored in our beautiful walk-in humidor to ensure that your cigars come fresh and humidified. They've also got all your accessories, everything you can need from lighters and cutters and everything in between. Go to cupofjoes.com forward slash podcast. That's C-U-P-O-J-O-E-S.com forward slash podcast. And have a puff on us, as Bruce might say. That sounds like a good idea. What do you say, Bruce? Puff away. Cupojoes.com forward slash podcast. Let's keep it going here. Uh, let's talk about uh, the summer of 05. Bill wants to keep wrestling in his blood. So he opens and promotes Gulf South Wrestling. Uh, he winds up having to close the company in May of 06, uh, which he says are due to circumstances beyond his control. But then he immediately reorganizes a new wrestling promotion, Greater Gulf Coast Wrestling, which closed very quickly as well. It's got to be frustrating for him to still want to be involved in wrestling, but maybe he realizes I can't handle the travel, so I'll do something locally. But he's really struggling to get some support there. Did you keep in touch with Bill through those years? Because it does feel like, you know, he's doing some different things. He's making some indie appearances here and there. He's doing some shoot interviews here and there. Is he somebody who you could still maintain a friendly relationship with, or uh, was that not possible? No, and I did, uh, because we always had, and we always kept in touch and just, if nothing else, to say hello and see how the other one's doing. So, yeah, I did keep in touch with him and just in my mind, uh, I always wanted to be able to have him back and have the old Paul Bearer back. And, and I think that there was a part of him that I think Paul was a little bitter uh, during that period where, you know, things weren't going as well. And, and it just uh, it frustrated him a lot. We should mention that, uh, in 06, he starts working, uh, in a funeral home again. So good thing. He kept that license active on August 1st, 2010. He resigns with WWE. He, uh, re-debuts with the undertaker on SmackDown. It was taped on uh, September 21st in Bloomington, Illinois. It airs three days later, which I believe is the final SmackDown on the, my TV network. And that would lead to Kane beating the undertaker in a buried alive match due to some help from Paul bearer and the Nexus. And this writes the undertaker off TV for a few months. Uh, and then of course he's going to return at WrestleMania, but Paul bear is going to stick around as Kane's manager for some sort of goofy feud with edge, probably not their best work. Uh, I know this was when he weren't really there, so we'll just keep it moving here, but I should mention edge would use a dummy bearer over and over until Kane thinking it was a dummy pushes bear off a ladder onto concrete, which writes him off again. Who booked this shit? Uh, in 2012, Paul I wasn't Bear even there. <laughs> Did you get any royalties on that new? I wasn't there t-shirt from WWE. I mean, come on. We, we've been saying that shit since 2016 on this show. It's, it's my shit now. That's what I'm saying. Uh, in 2012, Paul bear returns as Kane's manager against Randy Orton. And Orton kidnaps him, puts him in a freezer while tied up in a wheelchair. Kane comes back and, and bear celebrates <laughs> with his son. Uh, but then they put him back in the freezer and kill him again. <laughs> this is fucking, <laughs> it's like, uh, 
it's a sitcom at this point. How many ways can we kill Paul Bear? Let's fill him up with a concrete. He's Kenny. Yeah, exactly. It's tremendous. What was that? Uh, <laughs> Super Dave. He's like Super Dave. There's always ways you can kill him. Uh, Bill would write, I'm very true to the proud tradition of the old school wrestling that I was brought up on. I was very blessed to be able to live out my dreams and I have a great respect for the business I'm in, especially for the legends that have traveled the roads before me. They're the ones who made all of this possible and I'll never forget where I came from. And that is my sweet home forever. Sweet home, Alabama. Sadly, uh, we lost Bill Moody on March 5th, 2013. He's only 58 years old when we lose him. Uh, he had suffered a, a pretty bad blood clot three days earlier while he was at the Gulf Coast wrestling reunion that took place at the International Speedway in his home city of Mobile. He was a staple there for a long time, and those close to him reported he had not been feeling well for several days before the reunion, and then he caught an upper rep- respiratory infection while he was uh, doing some dates in Chicago for some meet and greets and things like that. Man, I remember this like it was yesterday. Um, one of the more controversial things that happened not too terribly long after he passed away, uh, less than a month, he's got the undertaker has got a match with CM Punk and they're going to use ashes that are supposed to be Paul bears ashes in the urn in an angle. You weren't with the company at the time, but I'm sure you were watching it, it lit the internet up. what do you think of the decision to use Paul's death in a, in a storyline so quickly after he passed? Well, I do know that his family was consulting. They were all for it. And if you would have asked me, I would have been at the front of the line to say yes, because knowing Bill Moody and his love of the business, his love of the industry, I think that he was smiling from ear to ear to think that he would be involved in something even after he's gone. And had Bill been in the position that the creative people were in then, I think that Bill would have um, probably come up with every single one of those that people questioned as far as taste-wise. I think Bill would have been the first one to say, Oh, yes, you need to dump my ashes out. Yes. and, and have the, Could someone snort them? I mean, that's the way that he thought he, he did give his life for this business. He, uh, loved it, lived it. And he, and even in his passing was still a big part of it. Um, so to that, I think anybody that knew Bill Moody would say he would have absolutely loved that and been on board a hundred percent and would have probably wanted to take it further. You weren't doing anything or, or, well, you weren't with the WWE when, when Bill passes away, you may have still been with TNA for a couple more days, but what do you, um, what do you remember about how you found out that the Percy was gone? Um, I think Michael Hayes called me and told me, but I had, I had been speaking to Bill and we had just, you know, we still stayed in touch and we would go back and forth. You know, one thing that people don't know about Percy was he was a big, I called him a computer nerd, but 
he was very bright and in the infancy of computers and, and even later on when I just didn't know what the fuck I was doing. If I ever had a computer problem, I'd call Bill. He taught me how to defragment my computer. He would, he told me about this, uh, this shit. Um, I don't know. It was before fiber, but it was, it was one of the newfangled things. And it's like, Oh God, Bruce, it's like turning a page in a book. It's so fast. You know, after dial up, uh, when I finally got the, the cable hookup, this is how old us two farts are that we would go back and forth on those little things. And, he he was the biggest George Jones fan in the world. As a matter of fact, I think his uh, it was Possum Fan was his AOL name on his wow. email and shit. And he traveled all over the country. When he finally got to meet George Jones, you he could have gone right then and he would have been the happiest person in the world. But then to, to take it one step further, George, he got George's phone number and he became friends with George and his wife um, right up until the day that George passed. And, and George was supposed to be in Houston for a concert. And, and Percy had gotten me tickets and uh, to go back and, and meet George and all this stuff. And George had to cancel because of his health. And he passed uh, a week or two after that. But I remember when they canceled, Percy called me and says, hey, Bruce, he's, he's not going to make it. I don't think that George is going to be around too much longer. And then he was gone several weeks after that. Um, you know, those little things that, that Percy would, would walk me through computer shit, just as patient as could be. He was like one of those, uh, when you call for support in India, except he had a southern, instead of, okay, what you need to do is you need to talk and, and, and click on these. Well, no, it's a little apple. Has a bite out of it. Percy, just he had a southern accent. Bruce, you need to click on the apple up there. Oh, yes, there you go. Um, when the, the, the first technology came out that someone could take over your computer remotely, Bill Moody was the first person took over my com computer remotely and fucking started doing shit. Freaked me the fuck out. Um, but he was he was a good friend. He was a, a great husband, a great father, and one of the best that the, the business will ever fucking know. Um, very sad when he passed. And it was it was a tough time because he had he had gone through the, the death of Diana and he was he was so sad. And uh, just just the sweetest human being you ever wanted to meet. Some people would think that he was just crass and um, mean spirited, whatever. He, he wasn't. He was he was a beautiful human being and uh, someone that I truly loved and proud to call a friend in the wrestling business. What do you think his uh, legacy will be in professional wrestling? It's always going to be oh yes. Always going to be as Paul Bearer and, and the manager of The Undertaker. Uh, that will that will be how people remember him. And to those of us that, that got to know him, we're, we're always going to remember the George Jones living, um, smart-ass, ribbing uh, <laughs> character that was Big Bill Moody. 
But and and the funny thing is, is, is you would call him everything. You'd call him Paul. I called him Pooh Bear. Uh, call him just Pooh. Uh, Big Bill Moody um, and Percy. You know, it was it just depended upon which one you got on any given day. He goes in the WWE Hall of Fame in 2014. At the ceremony, Kane inducted Paul Bearer and his sons. Uh, William and Daniel would accept the induction. And afterwards the undertaker comes out in character and pays tribute. Pretty special little hall of fame moment there. Is it not? Yeah, very much so. And, and again, I know that he was looking down and smiling on that because it, it was special and he deserved that kind of a special induction. Hey Bruce, let's run a timeout right now. I want to talk about peace of mind. I know that sounds silly on a wrestling podcast, but I think a lot of us are looking for a fun escape. And I hope that this podcast is serving its purpose and it's a lot of fun to do, but the most fun thing I get to do in my everyday life is help our listeners get the peace of mind of knowing everything's going to be all right. And right now there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and some folks are nervous about their income and about being able to provide for their family and their finances in general. I want to help you take control and take this sort of time out from real life right now to hit the reset button on your financial future. Now, the way we can help your future is improve your current situation. How's this for starters? No house payments for two months. You're going to get to take a little vacation from house payments and maybe in two months, things will be back to normal, but at a minimum, you're going to get to pocket that house payment money, your single biggest bill for two months. In addition to that, I'm also going to help you pull a little cash out. If you don't already have a reserve fund, I think everybody listening to this now knows they need three to six months of their monthly bills set aside in a savings account, just in case something happens. I know a lot of folks have been saying I need to save a thousand dollars. Well, you probably realize now you need a little more than that. I can help you get those reserves and stick them in a savings account. So you just feel like you've got a seat belt for the curveballs that life is going to throw your way. In addition to that, I want to help you knock out your credit card debt. Now, my advice right now is going to be a little different than what it might normally be. I want you to pay those credit cards off down to zero, but don't close the account. You still want to have access to that cash in case you ever need it in the future. The worst part about being in the lending business is sometimes we can't help people who wait too long to ask for the help. If you wait until you've been laid off, you don't have the quote unquote ability to repay and you won't be approved. But if you're still working right now, but you're a little nervous about what the future holds, Let's take control. Let's get rid of some of your other debt. Let's pay off the high interest rate credit cards. Let's get your reserve account set up. Let's lower your monthly payment. Let's let you skip a couple of house payments. And by the way, we have a seven year guarantee here at SaveWithConrad.com. So if your needs change at any point in the next seven years, I'll help you refinance into a better loan without a whole second set of lender fees. It gives you the peace of mind of saving the most money right now, but not wasting money later. Let us run the numbers for you. And I'm telling you, we have routinely helped listeners to this show save tens of thousands of dollars. They're going to lower their monthly payments, five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And right now that comes in handy more than ever. Take control right now. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time, but check it out now before it's too late. SaveWithConrad.com. We took to Twitter and said, Hey, do you have a question for Bruce about Paul bear? Well, drop it here. You can ask a question for next week's episode. Just follow us on Twitter at Pritchard show and stay tuned. Dave Silva, uh, as soon as he wakes up, we'll have a, uh, a post pinned to the top where you can ask a question for next week. Let's get to it, man. I've got a, I don't know, a dozen or so let's do them rapid fire. Bruce, are you ready? I think Dave Silva needs to borrow your roles.
Oh my gosh. Pender J writes, maybe there was, but was there ever an attempt to get the duo of the undertaker and Paul bear to pitch tombstone pizza? I can only imagine Paul bear asking, what do you want on your tombstone? Absolutely. I would have loved that. I don't know if it was ever pitched. I know I personally did pitch it. Yes. Uh, Blake writes in, was there ever a time when undertaker and Paul bear didn't get along or maybe had heat between the two? I can't ever remember a crossword between the two. Phil writes in 1996, when Paul would join up with mankind, why didn't it work out? I thought it did work out. It just was timing thing and time to move on. But to me, it was great. A lot of the questions we have, Bruce came from the ring of honor, straight shooting series where Paul bear was just letting it rip son. And I think this question from Rob probably comes from that shoot interview. Rob would write. Rumor and innuendo was he was fired for allegedly making fun of Kevin Dunn. Uh, I don't know, Bruce, I mean, you never talked about this. Did Paul bear and Kevin Dunn not get along? Well, I don't know if they did or not. I have no idea. I didn't hear that. Adam would also uh, have a good question. for I, us. Think, I think, you know, I mean, I, I think that Kevin Dunn is someone that gets thrown out there because people don't agree with some of the things that they give Kevin credit for. And Kevin has done more for the business and more for WWE than a lot of people and loves it more than anything. And I've never understood it other than he wasn't a, a life or wrestling person. He was a life or WWE person and second generation. His dad worked for his own man. And, and that's, I've never understood that vitriol with him, but I have a theory. Let me pitch my theory. Maybe it's because Vince becomes, uh, untouchable. Like guys think, well, that man paid me and he gave me an opportunity and I don't want to quote unquote bite the hand that feeds, but I, I need to point my negative and ill will towards somebody. So I'm going to point it towards Kevin Dunn. Yeah. And, and it's, and again, and Kevin's not going to retort and that's, that's with a lot of us. It's, you're not going to say, Vince is the shits, but you'll say Bruce and yep. Pat are the shits because Vince will forgive you and Vince will hire you. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I, I've always thought that was just, he's a scapegoat for lack of a better yes. word, man. We got lots of questions about the urn. Adam wants to know who in storyline is the person in the urn. I think, uh, one of our uh, questions reference that maybe in a promo once tugboat said it was undertaker's mom's ashes in the urn. Was there ever an official answer as to who or what was in the urn? No, it was the essence of the undertaker. It was the spirit of the undertaker, but no, it never was hilarious question from drew here. Do you think Paul bear would have fit on the undertaker's motorcycle when taker was a biker or would Paul need a sidecar? He probably needed a sidecar. Dude, that fucking tickles me. The idea that there was a sidecar on one of those motorcycles and Paul Bear. Oh yes, let's go for a ride. Uh Rob would write, Is it true he used to prank the Undertaker with cucumbers slash pickles? We've heard on the show here for a long time that you are deathly afraid of pickles, but the rumor in innuendo is that a lot of the guys over the years have pranked the Undertaker with cucumbers. Yes, and Percy could get away with a lot more with Undertaker than most could. Do you remember any cucumber pranks in particular? I just remember putting him at the bottom of his iced tea one time. <laughs> and by the time he got to the bottom, he puked. 
Uh, James writes in, is it true that Paul had a BSK tattoo? Uh, and do you know where it was? If so, no clue. Explain what BSK is. Some of our listeners might not know. Oh, fuck. If I know it's a tattoo, they all have a bunch of them have. They being the undertaker's crew backstage. Uh, not Buzz Osborne writes in, I heard a shoot with Percy and Corny where Percy told a story where he was riding with Taker from Canada to Tacoma and Percy peed his pants pumping gas. When they got to the building, Vince had depends already waiting for him because Taker had snitched any insight. Never heard that one. That's fucking I like it though. Hilarious. Uh, talent writes, we've always heard that Paul was a ribber. Name the rib that he pulled that made the wrestler the maddest. Do you remember one of his ribs really pissing off somebody in the office or one of the boys? Oh boy. Uh, I, I always remember it because it always just comes back to me and I can see it and I can relate to it so well was the cucumbers at the bottom of the fucking, uh, undertaker's iced tea and him puking everywhere. Cause that was just so funny that he got taker and, and I could relate to it because of my hatred of pickles. So you know, that was, that was a legendary one. Straight shooting writes in how close of friends was Paul bear with Jim Ross and Howard Finkel. Paul has said on a ring of honor shoot that, uh, Howard Finkel got ribbed mercilessly. Did Bruce ever see the chocolate cake rib that, uh, Vince used to pull on Paul bear, uh, or the weigh in rib for Paul and Jr. Lots of questions about ribs. Let's break it down. Howard Finkel. Do you remember uh, Finkel being ribbed mercilessly back in the day? I think was always good for a rib. Absolutely. And because Fink was, you know, very trusting. So there, there are tons of tons of Howard Finkel ribs. But again, when you say that, you can't think of any one of them. Um, what about the chocolate cake rib that's referenced here? I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. What, what about a weigh in rib with Paul and JR? Well, Paul, we, it wasn't a rib. Uh, they probably thought it was a rib, but Paul was so big at one point that Paul Vader, Mark Henry, big show. They had to be weighed on, um, like livestock scales or a scale in a warehouse where you would weigh merchandise coming in and shit like that. Mm. So they had to go special places to go get weighed. So they brought in, I know we brought in a giant scale one time at TV to, to have to weigh the larger folks. Uh, Phil writes in, what would it sound like if Paul bear sang with my baby tonight? Uh, you know what? I can tell you exactly because we used to sing it and it's not what you think. It's just very spend my days working hard on the go at my hands on the clock. Keep spinning too slow. Cause I can't wait to be at the bar tonight. Oh yes. Bobby writes in any stories about the heat between Paul bear and Sonny. Uh, this has become legendary that these folks just did not get along. They didn't get along and it was, it was very high schoolish and just kind of back and forth nipping at each other and they didn't like one another. That, that's about it. And I remember when we finally had to sit them down and talk and th that's where the, if I wanted to hook you, you'd be hooked come from, um, is, you know, Chris Candido standing out there and Jerry Briscoe and I asked Chris said, Chris, you need to leave. We don't want any words between you and Paul and don't, you just need to let it go. Um, and went to 
asked Chris to leave, and Jerry took him by the elbow, and uh, he says, what are you going to do, Jerry? And Jerry, what are you going to do? you going to hook me, Jerry? And Jerry says, Chris, if I wanted to hook you, you'd already be hooked. And, uh, yeah, they just didn't like each other. Sometimes you don't, you don't like people you work with. CD has an easy one. Uh, he writes, where did Paul Bear get his urns from? The urn store. Mm -mm, try again. But it, no, he got them from the urn store. He got his caskets from caskets are us. Oh, there we go. But the urn store was just the urn store. Come on, man. Don't be stupid. A wrestling historian writes in, how did the undertaker feel about being split up from him at SummerSlam 96? We sort of talked about how maybe this could have bred a little bit of paranoia with Paul. Was Undertaker ready for a singles run? Like, hey, let me just try to do it on my own and do some promos. Or was he more comfortable with having Paul sort of do the heavy lifting on the mic? A little bit of both. But I think at the same time that Undertaker was looking forward to the opportunity to talk and just grow his character more. You mentioned a little earlier the, um, well, I can't wait to get to the bar. Francis writes in, what did Paul drink when he was with the boys? Jack and Coke, baby. Steven Watts wants to know early on, was it ever considered to give Paul multiple clients like Jimmy Hart or Bobby Heenan had had before him? That's a fair question because, you know, in 1991, you're still having sort of heel factions and heel stables. The Heenan family and slick would have a bunch and Jimmy Hart would have a bunch there for a long time. It was just the undertaker. Was there ever consideration to having him maybe pull double duty with some other characters early on? Absolutely not. He was special and we wanted to keep him special. Uh, Jay Marsh writes, uh, was anyone else considered for the Paul bear role? Uh, and before you answer, I do think it's funny that Vince sort of, we've heard a lot about how these sort of occupational gimmicks come to be, right? So they have a, a maybe a lead on a talent and they bring them in. And you've even told the story about Barry Wyndham before where you guys are just sort of interviewing Barry and you're wanting to learn about him just what he's into, what he likes, what his history is, you know, his real life stuff. And he mentions he's a hunter. So boom, he becomes the stalker. That doesn't seem like that's exactly the case here. They're looking for someone to, to be a second for the undertaker. And maybe they don't have the name Paul Barry yet because that hasn't fallen out of Hawk's mouth, but they know they need sort of a companion for an undertaker figure, whether any other ideas for, Hey, this guy could do it or that guy could do it before finally settling on or having it just fall in your lap. Jesus, this guy was an actual funeral director. He's perfect. Was anyone else ever floated? I mean, we know it started with you, but was there another name in consideration before we landed on Percy? Uh, no, there really wasn't because I was going to be able to do it in the interim anyway. Uh, but when Percy came in, it was, it's all timing and it was, Right place, right time, right everything. And he fit. So there was no need to go beyond that. The senior writes, did Bruce and Paul really have a phone call with George Jones? With George Jones about the, uh, who the fuck was it? Um, yes, we did. And it was the George Jones song, Johnny Paycheck. Johnny Paycheck did a version of a George Jones song and I played it for Paul and I said, have you heard this? Uh, uh, he stopped loving her today. They placed a wreath upon his door. Um, and Johnny Paycheck did a version of that that was so fucking great. And Paul 
fucking denied it. He said, no, never fucking, no, Johnny Paycheck didn't do it. So I said, bullshit. He did. And played it for him. He says, that's George Jones. And I said, it's not fucking George Jones, Johnny Paycheck. And then uh, George Jones even thought it was George Jones because that, that's, he called him and said, hey, played the song. And then he was like, oh, my God, that's fucking great. And they realized that it really was. It was Johnny Paycheck cover. Tremendous. Uh, Ray writes in, who do you think Paul enjoyed managing more, Kane or Undertaker? And I'm pretty sure Ray means outside of the ring. I loved them both. I, and I, I, I guarantee you love them both like, like his own sons. Last one. This is from CM Patterson. He writes, Bruce, have you kept up with Paul Bear's kids? Uh, one has passed away. The other did some independence for a while. Do you know what they're up to these days? I haven't. I feel bad that I haven't, but, but I haven't. Well, that's going to put a bow on our Paul Bear episode. And Bruce, I appreciate you taking time. I know it's been a crazy week this week, but, uh, we endeavored to get this one done on time and we did. And I appreciate that. And I liked getting in our way back machine and talking about one of the most beloved managers in wrestling history, Mr. Paul Bear. Anything else you want to add to Paul Bear before we wrap things up? Nah, professionally, man, he was, he was out of the fucking world. And personally, he was one of my closest friends and just a wonderful, wonderful human being. Well, listen, I enjoyed doing it. I hope you guys did too. We'll be back at you next week. We've got more great content coming your way. You would have gotten this show early and ad free. If you had joined us on adfreeshows.com. and speaking of ad free shows, we've got a hell of a bonus episode coming your way for April. We're going to talk about the Saturday night's main event from April 28th, 1990. It went down to the Frank Irwin center in Austin, Texas. The hosts of the show are Jesse, the body Ventura and Vince McMahon. It's a big card. We've got Mr. Perfect with the genius taking on Hulk Hogan to get us started. Then we've got earthquake with Jimmy Hart taking on hillbilly Jim. And then how about this dream match of sorts, the heart foundation versus the rockers, but we're still not done. Haku and Bobby Heenan are going to challenge the ultimate warrior for the world title. We're also going to see some commercials for arrogance, uh, which is just phenomenal. A video package with big boss man and Ted DiBiase's feud. And then we get Akeem with slick taking on the big boss man. Man, I love 1990 WWF, and I'm looking forward to covering Saturday night's main event with you. This is going to be a fun show, is it not? Can't wait, can't wait. Check it out, adfreeshows.com. And until next time, we'll see you right here every Friday on Westwood One for another Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Shakaka. He stopped loving her today. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Now, um, James, what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? Um, I needed a refi. Uh, I've been listening to Conrad's show for a couple of years. It was it was very you know it was very competitive uh, with what I was seeing locally and with my current lender. So I just decided to throw my business at Conrad. Was there anything specific that Conrad said on the shows that kind of made you take that first step? Interest rates are historically low and two months without a mortgage payment seemed a really good deal. Um, off the top of your head, how much money were you able to save uh, through Save With Conrad? Man, I don't know what, what the overall savings is going to be. I, I needed to cash out to cover some other, um, other uh, outstanding debts and the the rate I dropped, I was able to drop the rate down by almost a point and um, basically 
keep my same payment, but cash out enough to cover those outstanding debts and uh, have a little uh, leftover for a rainy day. Oh, that's and great. It's pouring down rain here. Would you recommend Save with Conrad to any of your friends or family? Oh, sure. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.